Hello and welcome to BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex here at BTN.com. And as summer season rolls along here at BTN, the Take 10 Podcast is rolling along as well. And we've got plenty to talk about, especially with the upcoming NBA draft. Just about a week away, June 21st in Brooklyn, where a handful of Big Ten players expect to hear their names called and, and make that move to the next level. So regardless of how many players get drafted, there are plenty of Big Ten players out there who are grinding right now and trying to impress as many teams as possible before that NBA draft and that undrafted free agency period. And of course, NBA Summer League, which is coming up. Um, So plenty of guys looking for a team. And a couple of those guys joined the show this week on the Take 10 podcast. And they're guys that if you watch Big Ten basketball, you'll certainly recognize. First guest we have on the show this week is former Purdue sharpshooter, lockdown defender, Dakota Mathias. Dakota jumped on to talk about his training regimen, what he's been up to since he played his last game in Purdue, and also talked about his four-year career at Purdue, maybe a Matt Painter story or two thrown in as well. So fun discussion with Dakota Mathias coming up. Second guest on this week's episode is another former standout in the Big Ten. He was from Northwestern. It's former Northwestern point guard Bryant McIntosh, and um, Bryant put together a great career at Northwestern. They had that memorable run his junior year to the NCAA tournament. So we had plenty to talk about as well. Discuss his time with the Cats and what he's been up to since playing his final game at Northwestern. Who he's been working out with, um, including sharing a trainer with Dakota Mathias and another trainer as McIntosh gets into it here and and explains um, who he's been seeing is D. Brown, the former Fighting Lion legend. So some interesting uh, tidbits from both guys on, on what they've been up to and, and kind of how this limbo period works between your final collegiate game and your pro career. And uh, I always enjoy hearing about that sort of process. So a couple of fun discussions, a couple of former Big Ten standouts, so definitely stay tuned for those. Before we get to Matthias and Macintosh, just a couple of reminders that we always get to here on the show every week. First, uh, please continue to subscribe on all the platforms where the Take 10 podcast is available. That includes iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. And I mentioned it last week, we're also on YouTube now as well. So you can find the Take 10 podcast every episode from now on on YouTube. Subscribe to Big Ten Network and get all Big Ten highlights videos, all kinds of great stuff on YouTube. And Take 10 podcast videos will be uh, showing up there as well. So you won't miss an episode if YouTube is your go-to platform. So definitely check that out. A uh, quick reminder that we have a coupon code still active on the btn.com online store that allows you to take 10% off any order of Big Ten merchandise. That coupon code is capital T-A-K-E, number one and zero. So it's take 10. Once again, that's capital T-A-K-E, number one and zero. With those reminders out of the way, we can get to our pair of discussions with former Big Ten athletes who are working out for a shot at the next level. First up, we'll start off with former Purdue guard Dakota Mathias, and we'll get to Macintosh after that. So that discussion with former Purdue sharpshooter Dakota Mathias starts right now. I'm very pleased to be joined by a four-year player at Purdue. He recently wrapped up his senior season with the Boilers and is now looking for a shot at the next level. It's the Midwestern Cowboy, a.k.a. Dakota Mathias. Dakota, what's up, man? Hey, how you guys doing? Doing great, and... Uh, since you went from uh, talking on Dan Dockage's show just now to calling into this podcast, I'm surprised you have the energy, to be honest, because we know uh, Mr. Dockage can talk. Did he uh, wear you out in the show a few minutes ago? No, nah, not too bad. Not too bad. It was pretty fun, actually. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad you got the warm-up out of the way uh, on the podcast now, and 
I'm glad we're able to get you on at this time of year and in this time of your career, really, because I'm always fascinated with hearing how players, you know, transition to a new life and new career once college hoops are over, especially in this phase right now when so much is up in the air in regards to your career. Uh, with the NBA draft just a matter of weeks away, what have you been up to since you last took the four for uh, for Purdue? Yeah, you know, ever since the last game, uh, I took, took about two or three days off. You know, just kind of you know, re-energized a little bit, then um, it was right to work. Um, I work out with a few guys in, in Zionsville. Joey Burton uh, is our trainer. Um, and Mike Robertson um, does like the strength conditioning part of that stuff. So, you know, we go pretty much five, six days a week. Um, you know, that, that's been since, you know, mid or I'd say early to mid-April. Uh, so we've been going going pretty hard in there. And, you know, it's been fun. Had a few uh, NBA workouts since then with teams. And uh, I got a lot more coming up. Got a little pro day here in Chicago um, this weekend. Then uh, I go to Charlotte um, in Sacramento after that. So you know, it's kind of getting full swing here uh, these next couple weeks before the draft starts. And yeah, we'll get into that process a little more in just a second here. But before we get into that, technically the last time you suited up for Purdue, last time you wore a Purdue uniform, that was in uh, San Antonio at the Final Four as part of the three-point contest. I imagine that had to be a pretty cool experience, right? Yeah, yeah, no, it was pretty cool. You know, seen some, you know, there was some uh, dunk contest judges were there, some, you know, George Gervin, I mean, Nate Robbins, there some guys like that, um, you know, watching and stuff. So it was a cool experience. Had you ever been to a Final Four before? Uh, I had. I did in Indy. My freshman year, I went and watched you know, Wisconsin, Duke, and those guys in Kentucky. Um, no, but this is my first one, you know, kind of experiencing some of the festivities and things like that. Outside of the con- uh, the contest itself, what was the coolest part about that experience? I think just walking around, you know, seeing you know some of the some of the shops, some of the you know, restaurants, and just all the fans walking around. Um, there's a lot of celebrities and you know, kind of famous people and different coaches and stuff that you played against or you know, have known through AAU and things like that. So uh, it was kind of cool to see all the connections and people that you know, you know. Yeah, it's crazy who you run into there. It's just like, like you said, it's kind of just a convention for everyone to gather in college basketball. It was a really good time being down there and seeing everyone. Um, Dakota, I want to get deeper now into the process of working out for NBA teams and kind of scheduling these pro days and how this all comes together. How does the process kind of evolve? How do, how do you get set up with workouts? And then once you're in their facilities, what kind of pressure is that to have to perform on, on that stage? Yeah, you know, a few weeks after um, our season ended, I had to pick an agent and I went with Keith Kreider from Edge Sports at Chicago. Um, you know, we've had a great relationship ever since we met and kind of talked things out and I decided to go with him. So um, all the teams kind of go through him and, you know, he schedules different workouts and, you know, kind of feels out uh, where teams see me or what they think. And um, that's been the whole process. It always goes through him. And, you know, we had my first one was with Boston and then uh, Toronto right after that. And um, it's more exciting than anything. There's a little nerves, obviously, you know, the first one, especially because um, you don't really know what to expect. But you know, once you get out there and you start sweating and playing a little bit, it's, it's just basketball. So you know, it's, it's more fun and exciting than anything. I'd say. What's the uh, pressure like as opposed to playing in a game with teammates in, in front of people as opposed to playing, you know, kind of by yourself in front of scouts? Um, I think it's fun. I don't. I don't think it's you know too much different. Um, you are out there on your own, obviously, but um, you can control everything. You know, you got the ball in your hands and you're defending the guy. So you know, it's all in your hands what you're going to do, and um, it just shows you know, how much work you've actually put in. And you know, they can tell who's in, who's in you know better shape, um, who's been working on their shot, who's been working on you know getting to the rim, finishes, things like that. Um, so it's all it's all you and you know how accountable you've been on yourself the last couple weeks before that. What kind of feedback have you gotten so far from the teams you worked out with? Uh, it's been great feedback. I feel like we really, you know, elevated ourselves these last couple of weeks. Um, you know, shown that I'm more than just a shooter. 
um, I can I can defend. I can you know play through the ball screen a little bit. You know put it on the floor. I'm just doing a number of different things that'll translate to the next level. Take me through the experience of kind of traveling around the company uh, the country, as opposed to you know obviously you travel all over the Big Ten, all over the country with Purdue, but just doing it by yourself and and kind of evolving into this next level of your career. I assume it feels more like a uh, just a professional experience all around. Yeah, yeah, you realize pretty quick it's a business and it's it's your job now. I mean, you're flying from you know city to city. Uh, the biggest thing is you know taking care of your body, you know eating right food, um, getting the proper amount of rest, and like I said, just taking care of your body. That's the biggest thing at this point. Um, it's a business. You wake up in the morning, you're gonna work out, lift a little bit, um, you know maybe t- take a few hours off, and you know get back to it again. I mean that's your job. So, um, but it's what you know guys like us we've always wanted to do that. Is it true that you set a record with the? the uh, Toronto Raptors in a recent workout with them, a shooting record of some I sort? I did. It was the shooting conditioning drill at the very end. Um, they always do it for their pre-draft workouts. Um, they put two, 2.30 on the clock. Um, it's essentially full court um, threes and then pull-up threes and then full court layups, you know, as many points as you can get in those 2.30. And uh, I was fortunate enough to break that record. And I'd imagine you kind of helped hone and craft those skills with a trainer you mentioned earlier, Joey Burton, he trains a number of college and pro players uh, in Indiana, like you mentioned, including a ton of former Big Ten players. So, how'd you get put in touch with him, and what are his workouts like? Yeah, no, I've been I've been in touch with him ever since after my freshman year. I remember Rayfell Davis, uh, who's a good friend of mine and former teammate. Um, he got me in touch with him, and Rayfell really trusted him. And obviously, Rayfell improved over his couple years here. Um, so, so I gave it a shot, and you know, me and Joey had you know great rhythm together, great synergy. So. Um, once I started working out with him, I mean, history from there, I trust him. Um, he's very detailed like I am. Um, he, he's very important on the little things. Um, and I think, you know, my game's evolved as far as, you know, being able to put on the floor, different moves, step backs, um, creative finishes and things like that. So stuff that he's really good at has really helped me. Going through the list of some of his clients, some of the players he works out, uh, Caleb Swanigan, Yogi Ferrell, your teammate Carson Edwards, uh, Glenn Robinson III, Rob Johnson, PJ Thompson, Jay Shante, the list goes on. And the workouts are literally in kind of like a barn, right? Isn't it a, a kind of unique setting, setting there? Yeah, yeah, it is. It, it's a barn. I mean, I think all those guys you listed, um, they're kind of old school type players. They, they don't need these fancy workouts in you know, Miami or L.A. or any of that stuff. Um, at the end of the day, if, if there's rims and there's a court in there, you can get to work. And that's what we've all done. Um, a lot of our uh, strength conditioning stuff and you know, weights are set up in there as well. Um, so it's kind of all in one. And um, we get great battles and great workouts in there. I feel like that's classic Indiana basketball, you know, it's a barn in, in the middle of the state. Uh, what are your interactions like with some of those guys that were your rivals on the court and are now your your peers and, and colleagues and coworkers trying to make the NBA? Right, right. You know, we've known, a lot of us have known each other through the AAU circuit and obviously playing in the Big Ten. Um, you know, we're all pretty familiar with each other, but, you know, at the same time, we're all trying to compete against each other and, you know, help each other out. Um, you know, we know when other people have different workouts and, you know, we're rooting for them and checking in on them to make sure they're doing well. Um, but but it's war out there when we we have open gyms or you know we're doing one on one or two on two drills. Um, we're competing and trying to make each other as uh, ready as possible. All right, and you obviously improved a ton at Purdue. By the time you were a senior, you were a completely different player than you were as an underclassman. Uh, how do you think that improvement continues at the next level? Um, I guess without the structure of a college basketball program now, as a pro, where where can you take your game? Uh, how does it evolve from here? Yeah, yeah, you kind of said it. The structure is a little different. I mean, in college, there's a lot of a lot of sets, a lot of you know, for us, there's motion offense. You know, at the pro level, there's a lot much more, there's a bunch more space out there. Um, there's a lot of ISO ball. 
uh, a lot of kill your man type things and you know, a lot of movement. So you got to be able to, um, first thing is you know, the speed of the game. You got to be able to adjust to that quickly um, or, you know, they'll, they'll sort you out. But like I said, defensively, it's probably going to be the biggest thing. Being able to guard people out in space because, you know, everybody at this level can score and get to the rim. Um, so you got to be able to hold your own at that end. But, you know, for me, it's just, you know, fine-tuning all the skills. Like I said, ball screen work, um, you know, passing the ball, making the right read, and being able to knock down open shots consistently, that's going to be huge. For sure. And uh, I want to shift now a little bit to your time at Purdue. Obviously, it didn't end the way you wanted. You had a couple of great seasons, but um, did that loss in the NCAA tournament in Sweet 16 leave sort of a bad taste in your mouth and some hunger there? Absolutely. You know, whenever you lose, especially if it's your last game of the season or your career, um, you never know how to go. I mean, all of our tournament losses you know, still kind of eat at me. So, um, those are things you can always look back as motivation and I would say more fuel to the fire. For sure. And, and your senior class you graduated with was known as being very tight-knit and for good reason. I mean, you guys got to Purdue and the program wasn't nearly what it was or what it is now, what it is today. And you guys kind of built that program into a Big Ten champion and a Big Ten contender. What would you say your favorite memory is from your playing days at Purdue? I would say favorite memory would probably be um, winning the Big Ten title at home on our floor against our rival IU. Um, I mean, you can't draw it up any better than that. Being able to win your conference championship against your rival, I mean, that's that's what you dream about. That's what you want to have. Um, so I think that was definitely you know something we'll always remember. Yeah, and that senior class I mentioned, uh, P.J. Thompson, Isaac Haas, Vince Edwards. you have any stories about those guys, the guys you came up with, kind of grew up with? Um, any funny stories throughout your four years with them on campus? <laughs> so, I mean, we've had <laughs> a lot of great memories together. Like you said, when we first got here, uh, we were a bunch of freshmen, didn't know what was going on, we were excited, but um, other stories and a lot of growth. I think the biggest thing was the growth for all four of us from you know day one to when we walked out these doors. Um, and I think that says a lot to the culture we created and um, what, what Coach Painter does here at Purdue. I remember when you were featured on our TV show, BTN, The Journey, you lived in the basketball house with some of those guys, and they kind of got on your case because you had these organizational tendencies that everything had to be really neat in your room did they give you a lot of crap uh like all the time for for being super organized or was that just for for the show no no they definitely do that that, that was genuine especially pj he thinks it's really funny because he's kind of a slob and has nothing organized so <laughs> um he likes to pick fun of me but you know it's, it's the way it is that's what friends do and um i like it that way though i mean that's not a, a bad tendency to have to be super organized i feel like if there's anything you're gonna that you, you want to be known for it's that no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> all right, so uh, you, meant, you uh, mentioned your career at Purdue. You're the all-time three-point record holder in Boilermakers history with 250. I thought maybe that was going to be your favorite memory, but you went with the team accomplishment over Indiana. So um, take me back to that night when you, when you set the record and uh, broke the, uh, the all-time record at Purdue. For such a storied program, I have to imagine that's a pretty special accomplishment to you personally. Yeah, no, no, no. It was it was unbelievable. Especially, you know, I didn't have a very good freshman year, especially shooting the ball from three. Um, so I think it was just, you know, um, enjoying that whole process. From like I said, the end of that freshman year, I knew I had to get so much better. I knew I had to improve things. So, um, you know, fast forward four years, and um, I break the record that Etwan Moore has. I mean, he's obviously a great NBA player, making a lot of money. So, um, just to see all that hard work paying off and all that diligence, it was it was special. All right, Dakota, I need a, a Matt Painter story from you because I feel like every Purdue guy I've talked to has a funny Painter story. From Rob Hummel had a funny one. I think Isaac Haas told me a funny one once. You have a favorite story about your former head coach, Matt Painter, you want to share? Oh, funny one? 
Well, it's kind of, this was kind of a scary one, but I think it really helped our season. Um, after we lost to Western Kentucky, we lost two straight at the Bahamas, and you know, we were we were expected to be really good, and you know, we dropped two in a row, and people are freaking out. And he threw he threw a couple of clipboards, you know, off the wall here at us, not at us, but it was you know off the wall. And I think that moment right there, he kind of got after us. It kind of woke us up, and you know, we routed off 19 straight after that. You know, be Arizona. Um, Know, won our first 15 Big Ten games, so that kind of I think that kind of set the tone. And um, you know, he's obviously a great coach and a great leader for us. But it was something like that. I think we needed woken up, and he did that. All right. So from now on, if Purdue's ever struggling, just buy some extra clipboards, and, and you guys will be all good. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. All right. So I uh, tweeted before you came on the podcast um, for fans to kind of submit some questions to uh, see if you might answer them. So I got a couple questions for you, if that's all right, from fans. Yeah, for sure. All right, so uh, we got one from a Twitter handle, great Twitter handle actually, Super Bad McLovin. Uh, he asks the best opposing place to play that you ever uh, you ever hooped in. Best opposing place, I would say at Maryland. Why their is that? Fans are, their student section, they're right on top of you the whole game. I mean, right when the doors open, they're right there. They're they're saying a lot of a lot of nonsense to you the whole time. So I would say that that environment's probably the best. All right, we got a. Uh, Question from a guy named Tanner Lee. He said, uh, "What's your favorite win during your four years at Purdue?" Yeah, I always go back and forth. I would say between winning the Big Ten at home against IU and then uh, beating Iowa State to go to the Sweet Sixteen. Um, now that one's special just because you know our, the first two years before that we got bounced early, we got upset in the tournament. I think that was kind of a, a defining moment for us and especially our class to you know kind of get over the hump and get back to the Sweet Sixteen where we thought we belonged. All right, uh, from 3 Twan Moore, another great Twitter name. What was the best atmosphere you ever played in at Mackey? Best atmosphere? I would say when we beat Michigan State my sophomore year. I was with Denzel Valentine, uh, Deontay Davis. You know, they, they were loaded. They were a really good team that year. And remember, Rayfield Davis went off in the first half for like 20. Um, and I've never heard it so loud as it was then. All right, last fan question from a guy named Jake Richard. Yes. What do you have a desire to coach after your playing career is over? For sure, for sure. I definitely want to stay around basketball as long as possible, um, as far as playing. But after that, I want to stick around as well. And I think, I think I got the tools and you know enough people um, that have taught me enough to. I think I want to be a coach. Yeah. All right. Awesome. And, and one more time, can you uh, just rehash your schedule coming up? Which teams do you have coming in to see your pro day? If, if you know that, and uh, do you have any more workouts scheduled besides that? Yeah, yeah. So this week on Friday, I go to Chicago, um, and Miami, Cleveland, New York, and Philly will be there for that type, pro day type thing. And then I go right from there to Charlotte on Saturday, and then that Thursday I'll go to Sacramento. Um, those are the ones we have scheduled right now, but there'll be a few more coming up before the draft. So a busy week ahead. Does the uncertainty of not really knowing, you know, where you might be a couple months from now, does that weigh on you at all, or is it more excitement than anything? I think, like I said, it's more excitement than anything. I mean, it's fun. It's got to enjoy this process because you only go through it once. Absolutely. Well, as we've seen in the NBA, if you can shoot, there's probably a spot for you somewhere, and we know you can shoot, Dakota. So I appreciate you coming on, especially at a busy time in your life, and best of luck going forward, and congrats on all your success at Purdue. Thank you. I really appreciate that. All right, Dakota, take care, man. All right, thanks a lot to Dakota for joining me. Best of luck to him. He continues on his basketball journey. And we'll get to another guy who is uh, working out pretty much nonstop to try and get his chance to the next level. He uh, 
had a very good career during his time playing Big Ten hoops. And, and as we mentioned at the top of the show, that is Bryant McIntosh. Bryant discusses his four-year career at Northwestern, discusses a uh, memorable NCAA tournament run, a couple of uh, unfortunate incidents, at least at least um, if you look at it from Northwestern fans' point of view, when Chris Collins got the technical foul in the NCAA tournament game, which was certainly very memorable. And he talks about how it took him a while to forgive Coach Collins for, for getting that tech. That's a funny story we, we had to get to on, on the show. And uh, even with all the success they had, he also got into the step back the team took in his senior year and, and how difficult it was to deal with that. So uh, a lot of good stuff from Bryant McIntosh in the next 20 to 30 minutes or so. And we'll get to it all. I'll stop talking. So we'll let Bryant take it away. Let's take 10's discussion with former Northwestern guard Bryant McIntosh. And it starts right now. I'm very pleased to be joined by a soon-to-be graduate of Northwestern University. He's one of three players in Big Ten history to record 1,600 points and 700 career assists. It's four-year point guard Bryant McIntosh. Bryant, how's it going, man? Thanks for joining me. Uh, it's going well, man. Just uh, enjoy, enjoying this process now. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. You mentioned uh, the process you're going through right now. Like many players whose college careers have recently ended, you're among a crop of guys currently working out, prepping for a, a pro career. So... What have you been up to since playing your final game for Northwestern a few months ago? Just give us a quick rundown. Yeah. Um, you know, since we're uh, still in school, I, I have to take two classes on Tuesday and Thursday. So I'm in Chicago uh, training with coaches, uh, grad assistants, and uh, still attending class. And then uh, on my long weekends, I travel down to Indianapolis. Uh, it's about an hour from where I grew up. And I, I train in Zionsville with uh, Joey Burton. Uh, who trains a lot of Big Ten guys, uh, guys like Yogi Ferrell and everything. He, uh, he He's a guy behind behind their success. So uh, I, I went down and been training with him and, and getting ready for this next step. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Joey Burton, and we had Dakota Mathias on this episode as well. He's a guy who trains with Joey as well. So we'll definitely get into that process in just a minute. But it's interesting that you know, you still have school going on while a lot of guys are already done. Do you think that's kind of a, a disadvantage for you that you have that to deal with as well while you're working out and, and traveling an hour to, to go pretty much get ready for your pro career? Yeah, I think I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage. Obviously, I've been given a, a great opportunity to, to get my education from Northwestern, uh, such a, pre- a prestigious university, but um, you know, the, not having the ability to, to spend an entire month and just focus on uh, when I'm going to be a pro at, uh, it does put me at a little bit of a disadvantage, I think. All right, so tell me about your relationship with Joey Burton, how you got put in touch with him, because you mentioned a lot of Big Ten players go to him for, for training and for uh, their preparation for the next level. So how did you get put in touch with Joey, and what makes him stand out among you know all the trainers out there? Yeah, I mean, Joey is a, a shooting guru, and um, my agent really recommended him to me so uh we we went to work one day and uh i just loved what we were doing i, I love the the success and the progress that i was making with the things uh that we agreed that we thought i needed to work on so um being able to get in the gym with him as much as i can is, is a big priority for me and that's how i kind of got hooked up with him so can you describe the process of actually getting to this gym because from what i've heard it's literally a barn kind of in the middle of nowhere what do you have to do to even, you know, find this place off the side of the road? What kind of, <laughs> what kind of uh, landscape is it like out there? 
Yeah, well, it, uh, you get off uh, and off 465 around Indianapolis, and you know you're you're in downtown, you know Zionsville. It's very populated. You take it about five five miles out, and it becomes just strictly farming area and. Um, you know, there's some nice houses around there, but it, you're definitely out in the country. And then you keep going another about five miles, uh, where, you know, you, you got a, a quarter of a mile before you see your neighbor if you lived out there. So, um, you know, you just keep taking 421 out there for about 10 miles and, uh, you, you'll see a, a barn with a bunch of cars. <laughs> uh, and inside is, is where, uh, the gym is and where everybody's getting to work. It's like a scene out of Hoosiers, kind of. It, it absolutely is. It, it definitely fits Indiana. Um, it's a incredibly nice gym, uh, you know, for just being a barn. For sure. And and you practice, I know we talked about it with Dakota Mathias uh, on this episode, but you practice with fellow Big Ten guys. So what's it like going up against people you're used to seeing, you know, in Big Ten competition? Yeah, I mean, it's great. You get great competition. You, you play with some one-on-one and everything, so you, you're getting to play against really high-level guys. Um, but the the cool thing is, is you get to develop relationships and friendships that uh, you know you didn't originally have when you're just competing against guys. So um, Dakota and I have actually become really good friends, and um, you know, just having that 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 friendship, and then you know, we some of us have had workouts together again, you know, in the pro the pro workouts we've actually worked out together so having that familiarity has also been really beneficial i think for a bunch of us just knowing how each of us likes to play you you develop that kind of uh, relationship on and off the floor yeah take me through the process of the nba side of things who have you worked out in front of what teams have you worked out for uh where have you traveled and what kind of feedback have you gotten along the way yeah i mean uh you know the feedback first off is uh for me i'm gonna have to be in incredible shape um, I'm gonna have to be able to pick up full, you know, turn guys, make guys work, and, and then I'm gonna have to turn right back around, get the ball, push it up the floor, be able to play and pick and roll. So my my shape is gonna have to be very crucial, and uh, you know I, I just have to be a really solid guy uh, in order to find my spot uh, in this league. So uh, that's that's kind of what we've been working on is making sure I get my shape in. You know, making sure that when I get an open open uh, shot that, uh, you know, I knock it down, it's uh, it's automatic. So that's uh, the things we've been working on and the feedback I've gotten from them. Uh, the teams I've worked out with so far have been the Chicago Bulls and the uh, Los Angeles Lakers. Um, you know, I, and I thought I had two really good workouts with them. So uh, really exciting. And then I, we had our uh, – my agency had our, our pro day uh, where the – Houston Rockets, Philadelphia 76ers, um, New York Knicks, um, Cleveland Cavaliers uh, were all in. Uh, Miami Heat were also in. So uh, we, I've uh, had my fair share of uh, opportunities to put myself in front of NBA teams throughout this process. And, you know, I'm excited of how it's went. When you look around the league and the current NBA landscape, which players do you kind of see yourself in and someone you could emulate and maybe compare your style of play to? Yeah, I, I mean, you got to look at, like, uh, guys like um, TJ McConnell, um, you know, guys like him who who, ha- who are in incredible shape, are really solid, uh, really good backup, you know, guards, and 
a guy I like to watch a lot of is uh, Kirk Heinrich. Um, you know, I thought he he was terrific, especially in Chicago. He was a tough guard, picked up full, uh, made guys work for it, and just was uh, his toughness is something that you know allowed him to be really successful in the league. And so that's just uh, stuff I'm I'm trying to pay attention to and watch and learn from. I'm glad you brought up T.J. McConnell because I saw on your Twitter feed you kind of echoed his statement in the form of a, a quote retweet. Um, so he tweeted that uh, back in his college days, I think, that he said he'd walk across the country if it meant making an NBA team. And you said – you won up to him. You said, yeah, I'd do that barefoot to make an NBA team. So, I mean, obviously no one's making you walk across the country barefoot, but how does your real-life work ethic like right now kind of reflect that hyperbole? Like what are you doing day-to-day to match that level of desire that you expressed there on Twitter? Yeah, I mean, it's just a dream that you're trying to make into reality, so you're putting everything you possibly can. Uh, obviously, like we talked about, you know, I'm still in school, so it's made it a little bit tough, but, you know, working out twice a day. Um, you know, I, I just finished a workout with Dee Brown uh, from Illinois, who uh, does a great job as well up here in Chicago of, of pushing guys and make sure they're in shape. And um, having those resources has been, uh, and, and the ability to pick their brain has been really crucial for me. And, um, you know, just trying to, trying to put myself in the best shape and prepare myself the best I can for any opportunity that comes my way. Um, and then when I get that opportunity, I have to take, a, take advantage of it. how did you get put in touch with D Brown? Cause as many fans know, you know, he's a legend around Chicago and especially in the state of Illinois. Yeah, he, he absolutely is. Um, you know, it was actually a little bit of luck. He uh, is with my agency. So I was actually able to meet him a year ago. He was applying for the uh, a, a job at Northwestern to, to be on staff, and I was able to meet him there. So I kind of had a, a little bit of, you know, familiarity with him. But then uh, having the ability to meet him through our agency and pick his brain and then he told me you know anytime I want to come work uh to let him know so I I took him up on the offer you know I just uh just was able to to go down there and work out with him today that's awesome uh yeah current UIC staffer D Brown obviously former fighting Illini legend um quick question about your current game how's that patented BMAC uh Brian McIntosh floater doing because that's kind of what you've been known for with the the teardrop there yeah, I think that's something that's uh, going to remain in my game. It's it's definitely a, a go-to shot, you know. I think it's something that's going to be really effective even at the next level, uh, especially with all the shot blockers and uh, athletes at the next level. So it's definitely something that's going to be very beneficial for me to have in my arsenal. But I still have to continue to expand my game and uh, extend my outside shot and, and other things. But it, it's definitely a go-to shot for me. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, so – Brian, I want to get to your Northwestern days a little bit before we wrap up here. Um, getting to your background, you, you grew up in Indiana. You're an Indiana kid, um, kind of small town Indiana, and then you end up at Northwestern. Were Purdue and Indiana in on you at all, or, or was it Northwestern that really showed you the most, most love and that's why you ended up there? Yeah, I, I had Purdue. Uh, they offered me. Uh, I had a great relationship with them. Uh, I, j- I just felt like I was more of a, um, a an important piece to the puzzle. At Northwestern, I thought I would get the ball from day one and and have the opportunity to to show what I could do and, and do it for four years and learn learn from the ups and downs of being a freshman and you know hopefully put together a great career there you know as you learn from those experiences. So um, I thought having the ability to walk on campus and possibly get the ball 
right away was something that I wanted to do. And um, it was it was definitely difficult to, to say no to an in-state school, but I think it worked out for the best. Yeah, I mean, you got that immediate playing time you mentioned. It put up big numbers all four years. So four years ago, if I come up to you and tell you these things would happen during your time in Northwestern. First, Northwestern would make an NCAA tournament. Then that there'd be a brand new Welsh Shrine Arena on the way, plus an Olympic Village-style facility like right on Lake Michigan, the spaceship-looking facility that you guys just built. <laughs> How many of those would you have believed if I would have told you that four years ago? The only one I would have believed is the, uh, the NCAA tournament. So you had no doubt about that. Um, and why is that? Why did you think that the pieces were in place that you guys would eventually reach it as you did in your junior year? Yeah, I just thought I had a lot of belief in the recruiting class. Um, I've always been a big believer in myself as well. And getting to know Coach Collins through the recruiting process, you know, if you would have told me that as I was being recruited by them and committing to them, uh, I would have believed you just because of the winning pedigree that he also has. Uh, a lot of the guys he recruited had a winning pedigree or were guys that had that wanted to win, that valued winning. And I, I knew eventually if we were going to break through and, and break the Rockets, you know, our mantra found the Rockets. So I, I definitely saw that coming, you know, when I committed. I, I was for sure that we would make it. Uh, disappointing that we only did it once, but uh, still something I'm really proud of. Yeah, and like we said, you contributed at a high level your, your freshman and sophomore years, but it's the junior year that everyone will talk about for the rest of your life and that will probably stick out to you most. So what memory, if you can pick one out from that season, the NCAA tournament season, sticks with you the most uh, to this day and will probably stick with you far beyond you know that year? Yeah, I, I think you know Selection Sunday is obviously going to be something that we'll always remember. The picture is, is always going to be around, but um, the one memory I'll always remember is uh, – running out on the floor in Salt Lake City uh, and and just seeing all the purple. um, You know, there was more fans than what we would get at a home game. Obviously, our gym is is much smaller than what we were playing in, but uh, it was the most Northwestern fans I had ever seen in a basketball game. So that was the the moment that I realized that, you know, we had really done something special. And then to be able to walk away in a, a dramatic fashion of winning that game uh, was is something I'll always stick with me. Yeah, you had a big role in, in winning that game in dramatic fashion. As uh, many people remember, that was the opening round game against Vanderbilt. The Vanderbilt player made a huge mistake by fouling you and, and putting you on the line uh, when Vanderbilt was actually up. But then the pressure's on you in that situation to make those free throws. So were you nervous at all being kind of thrust into that situation? And, you know, you're not really expecting to – shoot free throws in that situation, even though you were a very good free throw shooter. So was that kind of a, a unique sense of, of nerves there or not really? You know, it, it was definitely a unique situation. Um, <clears throat> when they scored, I definitely had confidence that, you know, I just the last two possessions I had actually went down and just kind of gotten an ISO and, and scored. So I definitely had a great rhythm and great confidence going into that possession. And then when he fouled me, I was shocked and, and looked at the scoreboard and thought, you know, okay, maybe they had a foul to give. They want to get their defense set. And then realized I had to shoot free throws. So, uh, you know, it was just uh, collecting yourself and, you know, trying not to overthink of the mistake they made um, and just take advantage of the opportunity. Absolutely. And then you guys moved on to face Gonzaga, eventual runner-up Gonzaga, and play that everyone remembers from that game is the goaltend that wasn't 
on Gonzaga, and then Coach Collins gets a technical foul, and Gonzaga pulls away. But when I was watching that live, I was like, yeah, that's a, you know, it's a tough tech to take, but how do you not get one in that situation? So I'm curious your thoughts on, uh, you know, if you forgive Coach Collins for, for picking up that technical, <laughs> and was it a clearly outrageous missed call? Yeah, I, honestly, it took till after the NCAA tournament for me to forgive him uh, because, uh, you know, I was the one who made the – I drove and made the pass to Derek kind of behind my head, and Derek goes to lay it in, and it, the kid sticks his hand through the rim. And, you know, we all saw it happen. We knew what happened. We knew it was a missed call. And I see Coach – I'm running down the floor, and I see Coach Collins freaking out. And instead of running back on defense, I stop, and I'm like, Coach, no, 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 we can't afford it. Because we're still in the game, even even though it was a, a a missed opportunity, there's still plenty of time. We're only down, I think, five. Um, that would have made it a three point game. So, you know, I knew, hey, we can't afford to just give them something easy and then then get the ball back. So, you know, when that when that happened, you know, they put two points on the board through the free throws and then they scored, and the game was basically out of reach. So it had stopped all momentum and. Uh, so it took me a while to to forgive him, but you know, looking back, I, he didn't say anything. And honestly, it, I can say that he di- he didn't say anything to deserve the tech. And so it's still upsetting that he got it. But you know, he was just saying, you know, he he the kid stuck his hand through the rim, and it was a clear missed call, and he was just fighting for us. So you know, it, it, it's definitely something that's out of all of our control. Yeah, and like you said, I mean. You can see on the replay, like it's not like he he swore at the ref or anything like that. I think it was just kind of a uh, natural reaction, and, and it kind of brought out like you know the fan in him. I think as far you know, that's like what a fan would do, like on their couch, they would jump up and do the same thing. So I wouldn't no surprised question. to see it. Um, speaking of, of Coach Collins, he seems like a pretty uh, pretty personable guy, pretty entertaining guy. Do you have any stories that stick out in your mind uh, regarding Coach Collins from your days? Because usually players have one or two that come to mind when when you ask them about. Uh, a story that that always resonates with them uh man i have so many stories and a lot of them come from you know his experiences at duke i grew up a huge duke fan big jj reddick fan and so him telling us stories of, of being at duke but you know personally his theatrics that you see on the sideline are things that we saw frequently in practice so uh, you know, if you if you missed a shot bad or you, you uh, drove and, and threw an errant pass, um, he would impersonate you and make it look even worse. So, um, you know, it, it's hard to explain. You know, through through uh, through just telling it, you would actually have to see it with your own eyes. But uh, those theatrics that you see on the sideline are something that is not uncommon. All right, Brian, so after that tournament year last year, it was obviously a bit of a letdown. Can you describe your frustration that you must have had personally during your senior year? You know, you dealt with injuries, and just the win-loss record didn't turn out like you guys expected. So how did you handle that uh, frustration that I'm sure came along with a season like that? Yeah, I mean, I've never – I thought throughout my three years before that that I had really dealt with – you know, a lot of adversity, you know, we, we go from not, you know, losing 10 games in a row my freshman year to, to you know, not, not making the tournament like we kind of expected. We got 20 wins, but still didn't have anything to show for it. No NIT appearance, no NCAA appearance. Um, so, 
it was still uh, two really tough years, and then you have a spectacular year, and you know having to deal with the adversity of being injured, not being yourself, um, and, and then not being able to be there for your teammates. Uh, we had a lot of adversity, you know, just against us, just because we didn't have a home gym, we didn't really have our own practice gym. Uh, there was no time to to really go back and, and get your own individual work in, you know, late at night just because it was a rec like a rec um, practice facility. So once we finished practice, they open up the gym for everybody else to come play their intramurals, and so it was it was a definitely a tough tough situation. It's really frustrating, really disappointing with how the, the year went. But you know, when you look at the the Big picture, I, I think everything worked out. Um, I have no regrets, so I, I think that's the one thing I can be really proud about. Yeah, tremendous body of work when you look back at it. And now uh, going forward, the arena will be finished. You guys won't have to mix it up with the intramural teams anymore, trying to get your own work in. Um, the, and Chris Collins will continue to be the head coach. So what, what do you foresee uh, regarding the future of Northwestern basketball under Chris Collins, You know, not just next year but beyond that as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm really happy with the fact that, you know, leaving the keys because, you know, when I walked on campus, he, he handed me the, the keys to the new car. And, uh, you know, there's there's a dent or so in it. But uh, overall, it, it's a really bright future. Uh, a lot of miles left on the car. Um, we have a, a great group of guys coming back, uh, some young guys that are coming in and uh, some transfers that I think are going to make big uh, uh, big time uh, help for us that uh, that is really going to up our level of play here in Northwestern. I'm I'm really excited about the team we have. Uh, hopefully, we can get guys back and healthy and have a good off season and and have a great year. So it's definitely something I'm excited and looking forward to seeing. All right, and I'm going to let you go in just a second, Brian. But before we do, I wanted to get into pop culture a little bit. We can't talk all basketball for for this entire discussion, so. Going through your Twitter timeline, it looks like you're uh, you're a Drake fan. Is that right? Yeah, big Drake fan. All right, big Drake fan. So, what's uh, what's your maybe favorite one or two songs right now? Uh, favorite songs by Drake, and then um, how do you think his album's going to be coming out in just a couple weeks here? Yeah, I mean, all his songs that he's released recently are, are spectacular. His "Nice for What" album is uh, that song is that. Uh, that's a, a great classic song that I think he's released. Um, I, th- I think the album is going to be tremendous. Uh, really kind of disappointed that he didn't, you know, fire back at Pusha T, but, you know, <clears throat> it is what it is. They, they squashed it, so I'll be interested to see if there's any subliminal uh, disses in the, uh, in the album as far as that goes. Yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy kind of how hip-hop is really, you know, reignited just all this – you know, between the rap beasts and, and you know Kanye coming back and Drake dropping his album, it's been a fun it's summer already so far. Summer. It's gonna be so much fun going forward. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, and I'm a huge Drake fan as well, so I knew I had to ask you about that coming in. Um, <laughs> all right, last question, Brian. Uh, I know you, you're extremely busy with schoolwork still and basketball, but what else you got going on in your free time? Do you have any any shows you're you're watching? Anything? Uh, like any hobbies going on? What do you do when you do get that free time? Yeah, when I when I get a free time, I, I like to watch movies, watch shows. The the show I'm actually 
uh, kind of binging right now is Homeland. When I get an opportunity, uh, I try and watch that as much as I can. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a, a really good show, uh, a lot of twists and turns. So definitely something that's really interesting. Uh, I haven't yet to go see uh, the Avengers, the Avengers, the new Avengers movie. So that's uh, that's on my to do list. Uh, just been super busy with school and everything. So those are the things I like to do in my free time is watch some movies, maybe watch some TV. What season of Homeland are you on? I'm on the last season, so I, I have about four episodes last, left until I get to the end of the season. Oh man, you're so ju- then I'm I'm then I might have to find a, a new show. Yeah, you're you're ahead of me. I think I'm on the second to last season. I kind of dropped it for a while because honestly, it got a little stale. I thought like in the middle, but like yeah. the first couple seasons were unbelievable, and then it got really good again. I thought uh, toward the end. So I'm that's another one I'm watching as well. I'm kind of here and there just when I get a free uh, hour or so i'll pop it in so yeah exactly the, the hour long is a big dedication but it, it's a great show no doubt all right brian uh appreciate you taking some time with me today um really interesting stuff i'm glad you could finally forgive coach collins for the technical <laughs> and uh share some other stories with me so thanks so much best of luck going forward and congrats on an uh, awesome career at northwestern thank you i appreciate it thanks for having me on All right, thanks once again to Bryant and Dakota for joining me. Best of luck to those guys as they continue their basketball careers. I'm really excited to see where they end up, and I really hope they do get a shot at the uh, the ultimate level of basketball, the NBA, because as we mentioned with those guys, um, you know, there's a spot for, for guys who can shoot like Dakota, defend like Dakota, guys that can handle the ball like Bryant, uh, as he mentioned, uh, a similar player like TJ McConnell and, and somebody who defends well and uh, can, can really – you know, make an impact like, like we've seen guys stick around in the league and, and compare to these Big Ten guys. So I hope they do get a shot and, and are able to perform well and, and um, make the most of their basketball career. So thanks to those guys for joining me. Thanks, as always, to all the fans out there for listening, especially when summer and, and Big Ten sports might not be in the forefront of your mind. Hopefully for an hour or so, this, ep- this podcast can bring Big Ten sports back to uh, top of mind and then get you ready for football season and basketball season which are going to be here sooner than you think so thanks as always for everyone listening out there thanks to Wes White who does a great job producing the show every week and we'll talk to you next time here on the Take 10 Podcast